theme for this year is go, right? Um, go into all the world, go into all the world, go into all cultures, you know? That's what Jesus himself said. That's what Jesus said. And culture's a big word at the moment, isn't it? You know, we're constantly hearing at the moment about different cultures and how we've got to be, um, you know, obsessed with identifying this culture and the difference this culture has to that culture. And, and the justification for that, there was all this talk about culture and cultures, you know what, the justification for that is tolerance. But for me, the continual highlighting of difference in culture just breeds disunity. I don't know if you've noticed that the world's more divided. The, the more people are striving after, um, chasing after difference and saying, you know, bring tolerance, the more that they do that, the more that our unity seems to slip through people's fingers. It's just the wrong way of going about culture. But here's the thing. We all have culture, right? So we can, people will, will identify, well, this is the culture I was brought up in and this is that culture. But to the truth is, we all have personal culture. And someone's culture can be an excuse um, for our person, who we are. But we all have personal culture. There are cultures within cultures. There's family cultures. There is personal culture. And so what I want to be talking about this morning is, is a question that I reckon everybody should be asking. What is my personal culture? And is that culture taking me where I want to go? Now, that's a good question because we all have culture. There's lots of different things that determine where you're going to end up in life. Funny, I wrote this because I had a little experience this week where someone had this post on Facebook. It was a good post. And there were these two ladies sitting there talking and, and one was sort of sharing, you know, obviously life struggles and the other one was listening. And that was great. But all, in the shadow, it was just one of those things, you know, the shadow on the background was just of the lady sharing was someone who was sort of in need and desperate. But the, the, the shadow, you might have seen this one, the shadow of the lady listening was actually like a snake. So obviously the, the premise was that this person was going to use this information sort of for evil. You follow, follow that, basically the premise. And, and a little thing down the bottom said, you know, be careful who you share with or something like that. Great post. But I wrote in the comment this, I wrote, the story of your life, I said, great post, the story of your life will be dictated by those closest to you because their culture will rub off on you. There's a whole heap of things that, that determine our culture. The people that we surround ourselves with will influence us. Your teachability your self-awareness, your EQ, your emotional intelligence. These are all things that determine how far you're going to get in life. People, um, you know, when I was in school, they thought that your IQ, your, you know, how, how smart you were in a school sense, um, you know, educational sense, was what would determine, you know, how far you got in life. But post that, they've got more wise, they've wived up, and they've realized, no, 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 it's actually your emotional intelligence. How you deal with different things in life will determine how far you can go. So here's the thing. All these things added together determine your personal culture, right? And, and here's a thought. If you're a note taker, write this down. It's your culture, not your circumstance, that determine your life satisfaction. It's your culture, not your circumstance, that will determine your life satisfaction. We know that. Because you can have two people side by side in the same experience and one's having a blast and the other's like ready to flip out. Not the circumstance, personal culture. So the title of this morning's message is, What's Your Culture? I'm going to pray with you. Lord, I just thank you for everyone this morning. I just thank you for the opportunity that we've had in worship. In fact, as we're in worship, I just got a sense of that scripture where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You and you were knocking this morning. You were knocking this morning, Lord Jesus. And you, says, you, said this, you said in that same verse, you said to whoever opens the door, not to everyone, but to everyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him 
and He with me. Lord God, I pray that this morning and, and, in, and in post mornings and next morning and Monday morning and Tuesday morning, we will be people that open the door. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the Lord saying this morning? Last week's alternative title was this, Find God's Perfect Plan for Your Life. Right, that was my alternative title, and we touched on nine different principles. If you missed it, if you missed out, we're working harder on getting our, our sermons up on, um, you know, in the different places like iTunes and Spotify and places like that. If you missed last week's, it's a foundation for the whole year. I suggest you jump on there, spend 20 minutes, and listen to it. But the alternative title was your "How to Find God's Perfect Plan." We t- we touched on nine points in that sermon. Um, and then those nine points we're going to unpack in deeper, I suppose, uh, just dig into them a little bit as we go throughout the year. That's what I'm going to be doing this morning, just picking one of those points. Because those nine different principles will determine whether or not you're going to find God's perfect plan for your life, whether you're going to find your plan for your life, or whether you're just going to end up in somebody else's plan for your life. And ultimately, what you believe about God will determine whose plan you're following. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be in God's perfect plan. And so last week, it's funny, like, you know, we're talking about this whole thing of go, and I felt the Lord, um, you know, when I asked what scripture to to base the series on, he he led me to the, he just, well, didn't lead me, he just said burning bush. So I didn't know if that was going to work or not, but I went there, and I can't, I couldn't believe what I found. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at Moses' life. And we're going to look at Moses' life. And you might not know who Moses is. Don't worry. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. But we're going to look at the moment that Moses' life went from a story of extreme loss and failure to significance and legacy. We're going to look at the moment and what transpired in that moment and what led Moses to that moment. That's what we're going to look at through the, throughout the year. But let's start up. Let's look at what we looked at last week. Let's look at it again. Exodus 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 10. One day, and don't forget, don't worry about it. If you don't know who Moses is, it's cool. I'm going to unpack the background in a minute. Just stick with me. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go and see it. And in verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses come in to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And here I am, Moses replied. And in verse 5, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. This was the first time. It wasn't the last time that happened to Moses. Verse 7, Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh sleigh drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. And this is our theme for the year, verse 10. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt. So that was the, that's the backdrop to this year. 
And I quickly want to want to talk about the backdrop to this particular story. So if you don't know Moses' story, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack it. If you do know Moses' story, listen again. <laughs> but Moses was born uh, a Hebrew slave in Egypt at a time when the Egyptians were killing the male um, offspring of their slaves. The reason they were doing that is because they had so many slaves. It was such a powerful nation. They had so many slaves that they, they were... Um, concerned that the slaves would rise up and you know revolt and they were just they were multiplying and so they thought what well, I've got a great plan let's just kill all the male offspring of these slaves and it, this is believed to have happened during the sh- very short it's only like a couple of years the short reign of Ramesses the first as we said more, Moses was born to these Hebrew slaves and they were killing all the males and his parents as all parents I suppose at, at, at a level but these guys thought that, you know there's something extra special about this child and so they, 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 they made a plan, which I don't think was a great plan, but they made this plan to, to try and save him and they put him in this little reed basket and they floated him down the Nile River and thought, you know, see you later, Moses, all the best. You know, so if you got sent away as a kid, probably not as early as Moses. What happened then is this, this basket find, you know, is floating down and um, one of the princesses of Egypt, like fortuitously, um, Pharaoh's daughter, uh, finds the baby Moses in the basket, and she's like, wow, isn't he cute? You know, sometimes cute, being cute helps. Um, and isn't he cute? And she takes him as her own son. She adopts him, and all of a sudden, Moses is a prince of Egypt. And by the time he could walk, he had become the adopted son of the most powerful man in the world. That's not a bad start in life, isn't it? The adopted son of the most powerful man in the world. Now, um, we'll skip forward a few years. By the time... Um, of the burning bush experience, the experience I just read to you, most scholars believe that it was his stepbrother who was ruling Egypt. And so think about this. His stepbrother was ruling Egypt, and so God says, you know, you're going to go and confront Pharaoh. That's his brother. That's his stepbrother. These, you know, they would have been running around the palace together, getting into fights and arguing and calling each other names and having races and being competitive and all the things that brothers do, you know, whatever it was that they were into, uh, whether it was chariot racing or whatever, they'd do that together and they'd be competitive and then, they, then they'd get outside the palace walls and, um, and, then, and I, then I suppose then, you know, they would be protecting each other, just like all brothers, they fight like cats and dogs at home, and then, but when they're out and, you know, when they move out there, they're the most protective people of each other that you can have in the world, right? That's how it sort of rolls, generally speaking. And so this is Moses. So Moses, so Moses is told by God, how are you going to go and confront this Pharaoh? And Moses is like, oh, he, he already knows what he's about to confront, doesn't he? Nobody knows you like your brother. No, he was, he had more knowledge of what that was going to be like than anybody else on the planet, and, and while, while Moses was a prince of Egypt, so this is the most, at that time, the most powerful nation on earth, right? So imagine being a child and being raised in that environment. He would have received the high, in, in the world, the highest level of instruction, like educationally, like he, his, his teachers, you know, he would have had first class instruction in things of religion, in things of civil matters, in things in the military. He's a prince of Egypt, right? Um, so Moses was set for a life of luxury. It was all waiting before Moses. Moses' life was about to pan out into the type of life that today's millionaires could only really dream of. You know, imagine where he was headed. So here's a question. What went wrong for Moses? You know, how do you go from being a prince of Egypt to a forgotten sheep herder? 
That is a massive fall from grace in anybody's, possibly the greatest fall from grace ever in the history of anything. You know what I'm saying? Even maybe to today, this is a massive fall from grace. So how do you go from Prince of Egypt to forgotten sheep herder? And as I was pondering this question, I thought, you know, Prince of Harry from England, he might have some ideas about that. But for Moses, he was a victim of his own culture. We're going to look at what happened, but he was a victim of his own culture. In Exodus 2, we read how Moses, he sees this Egyptian slave driver, right? And remember, he, he, by now he knows he's a Hebrew. Uh, it's quite obvious as you read the text. And, and he sees this Egyptian slave driver beating this Hebrew guy, which is, you know, the people of his culture, if you like. And so um, Moses grew up in a house. Just understand where Moses was coming. Understand the culture that backed up what he's, what he's about to do. He lived in a house um, where you take what you want. And, and Egypt were doing that all over the world. You know, oh, I like that country. Let's invade it. This is, this is the dinner table discussion. Should we invade Midian? You know, why, Dad? Oh, they've got lots of cool camels. You know, this is the, cult, this is the table discussion. He, he grew up in a house where justice was swift. If you wrong the Pharaoh, it's best to run a very long way. Justice was swift. And, and, and to make all this even more worse, if you want, or better, or whatever you want to go, his stepdad actually believed that he was God. Imagine growing up in that house. Well, that's where Moses grew up. And so Moses sees this Egyptian slave driver um, beating, this, beating this Hebrew, and he does what came natural in his culture, kills the guy, kills him. And later he's found out, and the Egyptians are like, well, you can't kill an Egyptian because he's beating a Hebrew. I don't care who you are. That's not going to fly. And so the Egyptians, come now they're coming after Moses. So he flees Egypt. He disappears and, and he runs out into the desert and he finds a wife and he ends up looking after her dad's sheep. All right, and that's where we've picked up the story. Many believe his stepdad to be Seti I. Um, the, he was the pharaoh in charge when Moses left and was under the threat of his life. And Ramesses II was his stepbrother in charge at the time of the burning bush. So let's go back to our story. So if we've just given you a background of why different things happened and Moses' headspace and how Moses ended up where he was. Um, so we're just going to today, we're just going to look at that first verse in a little bit more detail. And verse Exodus 3.1, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And last week we threw this point up and Connor's going to throw it up for me again this morning. Just we're going to leave it there because I want it to sink in. If you don't understand how authority works, life will be tough for you. Life got very tough for the prince of Egypt. Life got very tough from the guy who thought, you know what, I can do what I want. I can take what I want. I'm not answerable to anyone. I'm not accountable because of who I am. And there's a fair bit of evidence to suggest he was right. But somewhere along the line, Moses realized we're all answerable to somebody. And that somebody is answerable to somebody. And ultimately, we're all answerable to God. And that's why around this church we have this saying, my response is my responsibility. I'm not going to blame somebody else for how I respond to situations. I'm answerable to God for that. And see, at this point in his life, Moses was answerable to his father-in-law. He was under his father-in-law's house, right? And so he, and because of that, now, now the Egypt Moses would never have done this. 
but the Midian or the desert Moses did. Because he was um, under his father-in-law's house, he took his place with the sheep. He understood by now what it was to be under authority. And, and Moses squandered his position in the court of Egypt. You imagine the good he could have done for the Hebrew people as a sort of stepbrother to the Pharaoh. Imagine the good he could have done. And, and do you reckon that that's what he was, while he was in the, the desert and the sheep were there and he was sitting on a rock somewhere, he had, we talked last week about it, he would have had to been there for a while to, to notice that the bush was burning. He couldn't just walk past and go, you know. He was there for a while. Do you reckon he was pondering the fact that he'd squandered this opportunity to save God's people because of his position? He'd squandered that. And he's sitting there and he's, he's fi- he found himself destitute in the desert Married to a priest's daughter. I don't know what it was like back then, but often priests weren't the richest people in town. This wasn't bad luck. Often we want to go, oh, you know, I ended up here because it was bad luck. This wasn't bad luck, people. This was bad culture. It was bad culture that got him where he was. But as always, he's sitting on that rock reflecting, I, I, you know, I surmise. Who knows? He could have been thinking about what he's going to eat for tea. But as always with God, no story is unredeemable. And at some point, humility taught Moses one of life's tough lessons. We're all under authority and we're all accountable. And the position we take, and if you're a note taker, write this down. Just just a couple of things I want to say. Try and write them down. The position we take under that authority will determine the level of authority we are entrusted with. That might have been a curious thing to you up to this point. How come this happens? And Well, I'll read it again. I'm sure of the couple of things I just said. It's not just because I've seen it a thousand times. Do you want to know how I'm sure? Turn with me, from, to, and we'll throw it up on the screen, but Philippians 2, chapter 5 to 11, and you'll watch God the Father, God and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit interact in exactly the way that I just talked about. In verse 5, Philippians chapter 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He didn't say it would be great. He didn't say, hey, look what Jesus did. He said, you must have this attitude. Well, I, if, if I were you, I'd check out what that attitude is. is, is that, does that make sense to everyone in the room? Would it, be, would it be wise of us if the Apostle Paul said, you must have this attitude to check out what that attitude is? Just makes sense to me. In verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God. If you've ever wondered about the proofs for the Trinity, how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equal. They're at three in one, but they're equal. You ever wondered that? Here's one of the proof verses. It's really important that you understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal, okay? I just, I've hovered there for a second for your benefit. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. We said it twice now. In obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And in verse 9, therefore. I didn't do that well in English. But therefore means what you just read is important and it's the cause of the next thing that happens. Therefore. It means because of that, this is what happens. So because of what Jesus did, because of what we just read. Therefore. God elevated him. Because Jesus didn't think of equality as something to be squandered and sat inside the authority system that 
uh, and he worked within the authority system that he was given. And because of that, he humbled himself. Therefore, God elevated him. This is exactly what we were talking about three minutes ago. To the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and it will in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And in verse 11, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? And here we have Moses, same story. Prince, out of town, way above everything else. And then he finds himself humbled, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And if you know Moses' story, what happens at the burning bush experience is God is about to elevate him. See, Moses, you got to understand, Moses was educated above anyone else in the entire country of Midian, right? Highest, highest educated bloke, not on the block, but for hundreds, if not thousands of kilometres. But he was smart enough to take his turn in the wilderness with the sheep. And here's the thing, a lot of trouble, and I mean a lot of trouble, can be avoided in this life when we take on the responsibility that is as and release the responsibility that isn't. Doesn't that just sound like wisdom? That thought in itself was worth the price of your admission this morning. And here's, here's, we all know someone. You're sitting here hopefully reflecting on what I'm saying because you, you made the effort to come. But you, we all know somebody that is self-sabotaging, either professionally or relationally, that constantly making bad choices that were always somebody else's fault. You know that person. We all know that person. Part of the story, part of the story is failure to understand. Is it back on the screen? Thank you so much, Connor. If you don't understand how authority works, life will be tough. Think about this for Moses. I'm, I'm laboring the point. I want this to think in. I want this to be something that you remember because I want this to be something that becomes part of your life culture. If Moses wasn't looking after the sheep that day, he never would have come to the burning bush. That's interesting. Learning to acknowledge and operate within the authority systems around us is a prerequisite to uncovering God's plan for your life. Who knows what God could have done with Pharaoh as the brother of the, sorry, would have done with Moses as the brother of the Pharaoh. Who knows what God could have done? But God could do nothing with Moses until he understood how to operate within the authority systems that he was given. It's a prerequisite to uncovering God's perfect plan for your life. Jesus himself said many times, I'm going to read you one of them, but he said it many times, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve. We're going to read John 6.38. It's a classic one, but I'll share that with you. He served this and proved this multiple times, Jesus, throughout his life. John, that's how Paul was able to write Philippians, that, that passage we read in Philippians. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Did you ever realize that God himself said, I don't come here to do my own will? That in itself is mind-boggling. Jesus said it. 
See, one of the big lies we get told, and I, I laboured this earlier because I want you to pick it up now. One of the big lies we get told is this, that submission is an equality question, right? Submission is an equality question. In the devil's economy, maybe, but not in God's economy. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal, and yet there is a pattern of authority. There's a framework of authority that they operate within. And that's what makes it work. People who know their God understand this. Jesus knew it, and Moses learnt it the hard way. And, and Jesus talks about this in another time. There's, there's this amazing moment, one of the most amazing moments in Scripture, really. So Jesus is there doing his thing and probably teaching people or whatever. And um, this guy comes up to him. Matthew, Matthew, who was there, recorded it in chapter 8 of his, his gospel, um, his story of Jesus' life. He, he records this amazing moment. Jesus is there doing some stuff. It's Jesus' wood. And this guy comes up. He's a centurion, right? She's a foreigner. She's not a, we assume he's not a Jew. He's this foreigner guy comes up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, my servant's sick. Could you heal him? And he's like, well, have you not been watching? That's what I do. Can a duck swim? Come on. And so he says that, and then, then the centurion says, hey, but don't worry about it. All I need from you is for you to say, you know, sort of servant be healed, and I know they'll be healed. I'll go home. I'll leave you alone. You can keep on doing what you're doing here. Don't need, no need to interrupt. And you know what Jesus says to this, this centurion, this Roman? Now, now I've got to, I don't know what to labor the point, but people are worried about authority, you know, at the moment and what the government's doing at the moment. This is Jesus talking to a Roman centurion, the most oppressive regime in history. That's food for thought in itself. But this is what Jesus says to this Roman centurion, government guy. He says, you know what? I have not encountered such amazing faith in history. Oh, sorry, in Israel. That's what Jesus said. Because the centurion says, hey, Jesus, you know, I get it. You know, you say, I, I too am what? I too, if you know the verse, I too am under authority. Under authority. And Jesus, you know, I know, I know what it is to be in authority and, and dish out orders and watch people come and go, and I know what it is to be under authority. Clearly he was. He said, just say the word, mate, and we'll, it'll be game over, we'll head home. And Jesus said, greater faith have I not seen. Greater faith. Contrast this with the Pharisees who were all around, the religious people, you know. They didn't like Jesus because they didn't like the conviction that he brought. They didn't like the truth that he preached. They didn't like he was getting more attention than they were. I know what it is to come under authority. See, this gets to the heart of the matter. You can't come under God's authority without faith. It's impossible, which also means it's impossible to please God. You can't come under God's authority without faith. Because you got because every faith, see, Jesus understood it. See, every step of coming under Jesus' authority or God's authority will, there'll be a level of loss, even if it's just loss of control. You can't do that without faith. Jesus understood loss. Jesus came under God's authority. He understood loss. If you're familiar with the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was having a conversation, God the Son was Jesus having a conversation with God the Father and God the Son said to God the Father, I'm not as into this idea as you are. (laughs) Going to the cross, being tortured and killed. All of a sudden it doesn't sound like fun. And Jesus actually says to God the Father, look, if you can, let's do this a different way. 
But you know what? Jesus went through with it for you and for me. But why? Not because he's under authority. Don't worry. Jesus understood loss and not getting your own way. Jesus was obedient to the point of the cross. If you're serious about finding God's perfect plan for your life, if you want to see Jesus heal things in your life, the first step is the one that Saturian took. So, hey, you know what? I just want to come under your authority for a moment here. It's the one Moses took. It's being bold enough to, and I mean that, I mean being bold enough to ask yourself this question. Who is God asking me to honor in my life? Who is it? Is it a wife? Is it a husband, a parent, a boss, a foreman, a small group leader, maybe even God himself? That would be a good question. That would be a real good question to ask. It was for Moses. Why not in a marriage make it your goal to praise your spouse publicly at every opportunity? What would that do? Why not in a workplace strive to make life easier for your boss to be successful? Why not in whatever setting you have found to serve Jesus in this world, strive to be the most generous and honoring person in that team? Why not surrender to the person of Jesus and let him transform your life? Once you're on that path, can I just say this? Jesus himself said, the road to eternal life is a narrow one and a rocky one. But the road to hell is broad. It's easy. Most people opt for that. I don't believe that he was talking just about eternity. Because I see people opting for hell every day. And one of the reasons that they're doing that is because they're refusing to come under the authority of God. They think they know better. That's why we have this saying here, that I know better than the Bible crowd. Once you're on the pathway where you say, you know what? I think God knows more about this than I do. You know what? I think I'm going to give God some control back. Once you're on that path, once you understand that we are all under authority, once you understand that, and we're all answerable to God, we're all under authority, we're all accountable, and once you're on that path, you'll find as Moses did, here's the thing, you don't need to start looking for a burning bush. The burning bush will find you just like it did Moses. I believe that with all my heart. So I ask you this morning, and would you stand with me as I ask you this, what's your culture? Is your culture closer to the Moses of Egypt? Not accountable, not under authority, doing their own thing. Or is it the Moses of the wilderness? The Moses of the wilderness that says, you know what? I might be the smartest guy in the block, but I'm going to be looking after these sheep today because I'm under the authority of my father-in-law. Is your culture closer to the centurion or the Pharisees? Get this one right and watch the doors that will open for you in life. Can I pray? I love to pray. Look, God, this is a tough message. It's not one I like. But Lord God, I know that it's one that leads to my best life. I know that this is the message that leads to your perfect plan for me. And Lord God, so I want to pray over this whole congregation, these people that have given up their time this morning to come and to worship you and and to hear your word and get a revelation and get a word from you and know what God's saying to them as individuals this morning. 
Lord God, I just pray that we all get a revelation of what it is to be under authority. Lord God, authority in every aspect. This affects every, this is not just a spiritual message. This affects every area of our lives. And we've all seen it. We've all seen it go well and we've all seen it go pear-shaped, sometimes in our own lives, sometimes in the lives of others. But Lord God, I, I just pray that you would give us the conviction to say, hey, you know what, God? It's time for me to surrender. It's time to me, for me to take the sheep out into the wilderness. And Lord God, I pray that as we do that, as we do that, you would honour your word and we would have that burning bush moment we would start to, as we release control, we would start to, we would start to work, walk in your perfect plan for our life. I pray, Lord God, that you'll, you'll, you'll speak to us, each one as individuals, today, where that starts.